Hello, this is Lunar Poetry Podcast. I'm Rachel Lowell and I'm joined today by Tanya Wachuku, Sanena Bagava, and we are all members of Octavia Poetry Collective. Octavia is led by me, Rachel Long. We are housed at Southbank Centre in London. I'm often asked why I set up Octavia. It always seems to be the first question on the lips of any interviewer or interested party. I always feel like saying, duh, but I refrain. At least I have so far. I say this. Octavia was born out of an aching necessity to create an exclusive space within literature where women of colour could come together to read, write, share, grow. A space where we might do these things in peace, without being silenced or made spokespeople, without our writing being boxed, exoticised or labelled representative, raw, traumatic or heartbreaking. There are 17 members of Octavia. We are poets, but also educators, dancers, photographers, astrophysicists. This makes our collective voice zoetic and nuanced. Since our creation in September 2015, Octavia have performed at the London Literature Festival, have featured on BBC World Service and in The Guardian. We've run workshops at the University of Oxford and for the Serpentine Galleries. Octavia featured in the Spring Knowledge of Power issue of ASOS magazine and we closed this year's Women of the World Festival with our poetic response to Margaret Atwood's novel, The Handmaid's Tale. I am joined today by two distinguished members of Octavia and incredible poets and women in their own right. Hello Tanya. Hello Selena. Hi Rachel. Hi. <laughs> right. Hi Rachel. We'll be discussing the work of two poets that we've selected today. One literary heritage poet, June Jordan, and one contemporary poet, Safia El Hilo. Tanya and Sanena were given the challenge of writing one poem in response to both poets' works. We'll be hearing those soon. I cannot wait. But just to contextualise the task, David of Luna Poetry Podcast and I have been talking for a long time about Octavia featuring on this podcast. At least a year, maybe more. From the very beginning, David said that he wanted Octavia's show to be a little different. What we decided on was this, to do a sort of takeover, to not centre our own work solely, but to frame it around what has come before us and also what is being written around us what our peers and our sisters are exploring right now. For Women of the World 2016, Southbank and the Poetry Library invited Octavia to create a resource on our recommendations for the unsung women of colour poets within their collection. We embarked on what became part research project, part commission, as we each wrote in response to one poem by our selected poet. This culminated in a performance at the Poetry Library where we read our response poems and one other of our own. And what was really interesting about it is that it became a conversation. The response poems were not echoes but replies. We were tracing our literary and cultural roots. We were entering and documenting a discourse across generations and across waters. And I felt that what we started there was really important. I believe one has to know where they come from to be able to move forwards. I've only just watched I Am Not Your Negro, uh, the James Baldwin film. And he says in it, James Baldwin says in it, history is not the past, it is the present. We carry our history with us. We are our history. If we pretend otherwise, we are literary criminals. I've put liter- I've said literary criminals. <laughs> we are literally criminals. And here, Uncle James is talking about black people's struggle in America, but I think it can be applied and extended even to literature. We have to read back to write forwards. I feel the canon is this, and the canon promotes this, but the canon is biased. The canon, I feel, is an old boys club. Um, it only includes and promotes the works of Western white men. Therefore, what we must do is challenge it. And if it refuses to be challenged, then we must make our own canon. And this is part of that. So I selected June Jordan as our literary heritage poet because she is one of the great mothers, I feel, of our canon. 
She's one of the most widely published and highly acclaimed writers of her generation. And when I was seeking out June Jordan's bio online, interestingly, uh, the Poetry Foundation webpage says she is one of the most widely published and highly acclaimed African-American writers of her generation. And I use the word interesting in a scholarly way, which really means that's bullshit. Um, June Jordan was born in Harlem in 1936 and grew up in Brooklyn. Her parents were Jamaican immigrants. She was a poet, essayist, journalist, playwright, novelist, librettist, tireless activist, and a teacher. June Jordan was is a prolific, passionate and influential voice for liberation who lived and worked on the front lines of American poetry, political vision and moral witness. She died in Berkeley, California in 2002, leaving us a mountain of literary and political works, 27 volumes in total, 27 volumes of poetry, essays, libretti and works for children. I picked up her book for this uh, particular research project and it was like walking out with a Bible from foils. And I've chosen Ms June Jordan as our literary heritage poet because of how she weaves the personal and political, for how she engaged with the pressing struggles of her era, which I believe the struggles are still the struggles of our own era, but civil rights, women's rights, gay rights and sexual freedom. Safia El Hilo is the author of The January Children, which was published by the University of Nebraska Press, 2017. She's Sudanese by way of Washington, DC. She received a BA from NYU and an MFA in poetry at the New School. Safia is a Pushcart Prize nominee, co-winner of the 2015 Brunel University African Poetry Prize and winner of the 2016 Silliman First Book Prize for African Poets. In addition to appearing in several journals and anthologies, including the Breakbeat Poet, New American Poetry in the Age of Hip Hop, her work has been translated into Arabic, Japanese, Estonian and Greek. She is the co-editor of the anthology Halal, If You Hear Me. And I selected El Hilo as our contemporary poet because of the way she explores selfhood, otherness, language, leaving and loss because of the way she problematizes place and the concept of home. When I hear the word diaspora, I think of El Hilo's poems. I'm gonna invite Tanya and Sanena to read a poem by each of our chosen poets. Tanya will read an excerpt of June Jordan's Who Look At Me, 1969, and Sanena will read Safia El Hilo's To Make Use of Water, 2017. Tan. Who look at me. I am impossible to explain, remote from old and new interpretations, and yet not exactly. Look at the stranger as he lies more grey than black on that colour quilt that everyone will say seems bright beside him. Look, black sailors on the light green sea, the sky keeps blue, the wind blows high and hard at night for anyhow, anywhere new. Who sees starvation at the table? Lines of men, no work to do, my mother ironing a shirt. Who see a frozen skin, the midnight of the winter, and the hallway cold to kill you like the dirt? Where kids buy soda pop in shoeshine parlours, barber shops so they can hear some laughing. Who look at me? Who see the children on their street? The tore down door, the wall, complete and early losing. Games of ball, the search to find. A fatherhood, a mothering of mind. A multi-million, multi-coloured mirror of an honest humankind. Look close and see me black man's mouth for breathing. North and south, a man. I am black, alive and looking back at you. Thank you. Selena. To make use of water. Dilute. I forget the Arabic word for economy. 
I forget the English word for forget. The Arabic word for incense and English word for Arabic word for sandwich, English for and and stupid girl, Atlantic got your tongue. Blur. Back home we are plagued by a politeness so dense even the doctors cannot call things what they are. My grandfather's left eye swelled thick with smoke. What my new mouth can call glaucoma, while the Arabic still translates to the white water. Swim, dissolve. I want to go home. Drown. Half don't even make it out or across. You get to be ungrateful. You get to be homesick. From safe inside your blue American passport, do you even understand what was lost to bring you here? Did our mothers invent loneliness or did it make them our mothers? Were we fathered by silence or just looking to explain away this quiet? Is it wasteful to pray for our brothers in a language they never learned? Whose daughters are we if we grow old before our mothers? Or for their sakes, they called our grandfathers the January children lined up by the coloniser and assigned birth years by height. There is no answer. We come from men who do not know when they were born and women shown to them in photographs whose children left the country and tried for romance and had daughters full of all the wrong language. Thank you. Your pause is this, and you just read that so beautifully. I was like, don't cry, you've got to get through this. <laughs> the, your pauses that you that you did in that, can you just explain why? Why yeah. you left pauses, especially in that first stanza, I think. I think the first stanza talks a lot about her confusion, knowing half of two languages, English and Arabic. So uh, in a lot of the first stanza, there are actually Arabic words next to the English equivalent. So... I forget the English word for forget and the pause is supposed to signify the Arabic word that I can't say either. And no one could come to your rescue in this room. No one can. No one can. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So the pauses are there just to show the presence of another language. Yeah. I think that also the silence works as well. So, to you both, maybe in turn, so maybe Tanya first, as you read first, were you already familiar with June Jordan and or Safia uh, Hello's work before this project? I was familiar with June's work because I had a collection of her love poems, which were beautiful, and they just felt really, I think, urgent. Mm. I think urgent's the best way to describe it. It was just, yeah, and at the time it was something that I needed. Hmm. So it came at the right time, and she's just kind of stayed with me since then. Safia, I came to via the Brunel Poetry Prize. So when I was going mm. through the winners, I came across her work, and I completely just... I loved how she explored two different languages, because for me, that's something that I find that I'm always trying to navigate, like, understanding and learning two different languages. So Do you speak another language, too? I speak Igbo. You do? I speak, well, yeah. And I learned Italian in school, so I'm conversational in Italian. Ah, oh, you learned Check Italian. Check it. I know, she kept this one quiet. <laughs> Tanya, I don't know. But yeah, know. but do you know, know what it is? Because I don't have anyone Italian around me, so it's difficult. So when I go back mm. to Italy, I pick it back up again, and I'm, yeah, and then I come back, and it's just like, yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. I've learned this about you. So, Nina, mm. were you already familiar with June Jordan's work? And or Safia's? June's work, yes. I think I heard the first poem of hers I read was quite a short one. It was, I think it's called Intifada Incantation. Mm. And I remember seeing it on the page and it's the whole poem's in capital letters. (laughs) And I feel like, and and at at the time I didn't know, I just thought, oh, this is, this could be a printing thing. And then uh, as I read more of her work, I came to know it's very much (laughs) June's style. Because it's the tone just comes through, and the the, the poem is so powerful. It's I, it ends with I think I look I look at myself in the mountains of the sun, and the first line is something like I said I loved you and I wanted genocide to stop, and those two like lines lens with these block capital letters. You can't ignore her. So I think I was drawn to her from the very beginning because she's so 
outspoken and she's mm. so loud and she's so wise. And then I think a close friend of mine told me about another one of her poems, which is a poem about my rights. It's a very mm. long poem. Mm. It's a good four page you know, you can really get into it. And I was so in my feelings by the end of it. I was like, <laughs> I can't, I, can't, I, just, I just don't. I, it just embodies so much anger, so yeah. much defiance. And I think I'm very much trying to understand what anger means. And she was a really good place to start understanding it. And Safia was a completely new find. Like, I knew of her name mm -hmm. and I knew that she was very good. But you know how you have, like, a sort of a roster of poets on standby oh, that yeah. you intend to read? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This just kind of pushed her in front of me. And then the next day I'm, like, crying over her collection. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my God, what was I doing without this? And why do some of her poems, why do the lines in her poems seem like they were in my head before yeah. I'd even read them? Mm -hmm. Why? Why? You felt this too, Tan? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It is, though, right? It's, yeah, like, it feels very familiar like I've been thinking this but thanks for putting it down on, on the page <laughs> like thanks for you know articulating it very well so yeah mm. there was that familiarity very much very very powerful just to hear her talk about languages talk about uh, alienation there's a lot of pain as well in her work that I have never experienced specifically the pain of war the pain of recovering so closely from British occupation I mean mm. like her title pays on my homage to this but still yeah. something seems very acceptable. the title was just I'm a I'm a I'm a killer for a title mm -hmm. and so the January children I was like mm -hmm. you you mentioned why that is in the in that poem the fact that she is from a people that were assigned the birth dates of, of January the first mm. or mm. by the colonizer still find this I don't know why I, th I think there's always saying about uh, colonization that I'm just like obviously I know that that was horrific obviously nothing more can surprise me and each time I'm like yeah. no yeah. way I think no. it just it just goes from being sort of like horrific and malicious to just banal like, <laughs> like complete tasteless and yet and yet the repercussions of this last mm. for for years yeah. like, this is very much generational now mm. I think and it's very much in Safia's work mm. and it's a lot of angst as well and it feels very very sincere reading um, how she reflects on what it means to be home but never ever going there she says something like I'm from two countries both of them are broken or something mm. and yeah how did you find Tan for you what's the difference between just reading just reading? Are we ever just reading? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, maybe. Or, and then writing, knowing that you had this this commission or it was for this project. How how does that affect the way that you read? I would read first, deliberately not like underlining things. Okay. Well, trying trying my hardest not <laughs> to underline things. Um, and then going back over it again. So most of the times it's like a line that strikes me or something that I've thought, like I've thought this before, things that feel familiar to me. And then I just kind of underline them. And then I might try to work that. Or it's the title. The title, mm. if the title strikes me, I'm like, okay, cool. So I will write a response to that in that way. It's like speaking either directly to the title, directly to the lines I've picked out, or try and incorporate those lines within the piece. So yeah, it was just a process of doing like a number of those things mm. together and seeing what, what fit. But I ended up doing it by the theme, like themes of certain poems. Okay, so. nice. That's how I came to it. Which theme in particular? With Jew's work, it was about not being seen from who see me. And then with Safia's work, it was just, yeah, language and just kind of the feeling of not fully grasping one language and knowing the other so well. Just as a kind of a follow-up question to that, did you identify any common themes between um, uh, June and Safia's work? Yeah, I think both of them talk a lot about displacement. There's a there's a feeling of displacement in both of their works and the and wanting to be seen and also not just wanting to be seen like firmly like having the foot in the place like saying I'm here. So there was a lot of that, um, especially with June's work. Maybe that's a mundane question. Why are we why are we always looking for the common themes mm. and rather was anything then I'll change it up, was anything then uh, starkly different that struck you as being like wow Safia does this like this and June does this th that different 
So or anything like that. With Safia's, I felt her work was more tender. Like there was a tenderness to her writing. It felt very, although a lot of the the subjects were like some of them harrowing or whatever. There was a softness to it. Whereas with June, especially with her use of like capitalization, very shouty. Like she's there in your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even even in just the yeah. So June uses a lot of capital letters. Safia doesn't. Like everything's lowercase. Everything's lowercase. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting about about her work as well. I don't think there's one. I think maybe just the tight. No, the titles, the titles are, are not capitalized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The titles. Everything is lowercase. Yeah. So that makes it feel softer to you. Yeah. In tone. Mm-hmm. Almost like she's whispering or something. Mm-hmm. So Nina, what about you? How did you find the reading task, knowing that the reading was for something rather than just pure enjoyment? It's always fun when you have like new poets to read, and then you always think of it like, oh, this is great. I love that. I can do this, and then you actually have to get to the task of writing then, <laughs> then it's not so fun because you because you you weigh yourself up against these these two amazing poets and then you just think how am I gonna like distill both of them into something mm. that like adequately responds to them both but I think it was a huge challenge and I wouldn't have asked for any other two poets to maybe do this with and I never noticed like capitalization in June's poems and the complete lack of capitalization capitalization in Safia's is such an interesting stark difference Mm. to have and also I feel like there's a lot of resignation in Safia's poems so there's a lot of questioning in June's Mm. June is very sort of defiant in the sense that she's like why is it like this why is it if I want to do this I have to consent to this being the case why am I seen this way when I walk down the street whereas with Safia it's a very it it feels like a very dull ache like a Mm. longing right in the stomach sort of thing it's Mm. far less like she's questioning, but more that she's just trying to make sense of it. Yeah, I feel this thing about stuff that traces um, the lineage, often the, the the female lineage here. It's her mother and her yeah. grandmothers, her aunties. There is mention of, of, of a brother or, yeah. or the, whoever the Pope's voice is, um, his brother. Whereas June's, even, a, even throughout all of these, you know, in this collected poems directed by Desire, I feel like June opens her arms outwards to the world whereas within Saf is looking up a family tree mm-hmm. to try and make sense of things that way yeah I felt Tan you said you underlined things you kind of drawn to titles mm-hmm. you maybe think about a line or a phrase going into the into the poem that you're then going to write in mm-hmm. response Sanena how about you how do you how does the how does that process actually play out for you I was picking out certain words that I thought were repeating so like there's a lot of words that repeat in Safia's poems so she she likes to bring up this image of um, the gap in the teeth yeah a lot which I think is a really beautiful image but also quite a tense one in a sense I don't know something fragile about looking at like Mm. a gap in someone's teeth so I wrote that down I wrote down some more of her images she writes about the moon uh, in some of her poems she writes about blood and in June's it was more just kind of how do I write myself more actively and not like I'm like I'm a passive subject who's had things happen to her? Mm. So I was trying to like underline certain phrases, and I think what I did was I chopped a few lines from her poems and just put them with a few lines of Safia's and see and tried to see what they made. But eventually, it just came down to like starting with trying to put both their voices together. So like, how do I put Safia's introspection with June's defiance kind of thing nice that that sort of process but then I had to like go back to it a lot and remember what I was responding to because it's very easy to drift off from the poets themselves into your own voice so I had to keep coming back and thinking wait hold on am I am I actually doing this justice am I doing this the right way or am I just kind of using them as like a a proxy to just fall back into my own typical Images and stuff. I don't know if there's anything typical about your work. I can't. I'm, I've been looking forward to hearing these for probably about a month. Even yeah, even just talking to to David about it's like okay, so who from October do you want? And I was like, I was like, um, and yeah, so I've been excited for a very long time. 
And well, yeah, and then we can talk about what you found maybe most difficult, but so it doesn't sound like a disclaimer, because, you know, we're all sick of that. Just like, I've only had a small one at this point. I'm really sorry. I don't know. Like, I'm sick. I'm not, I'm, you know, this is like, just read the poem. It's not my best. Not yeah, my it's best. not my best. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't even know where half this excuse is coming from. But yeah, so it doesn't sound like a disclaimer. But then we can talk about the things you found most rewarding about the um, and the things you might have found most difficult. Tanya, yes. would you like to read your poem, please? Yes. I'm terrible with titles, so this one is currently untitled. <gasps> <gasps> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the title I was playing with is See Me, See Tongue. Nice, so, perfect. Mm, right, cool. mm, mm. Yeah. So this piece is called <laughs> See Me, See Tongue. On narrow pavements meant to be shared, I wonder if white people are magicians. I stare in amazement, wait in anticipation as they walk towards me, arms linked, about to perform the impossible, my favorite magic trick, walking through the black girl standing in the way. I'm yet to see this in its entirety. I'm dissatisfied when they barge me, when I have to force space between them with my shoulders, and continue existing on the other side. Ta-da. Your bed asks if I want to mold this memory in the foam. I think about how we look from above. Who see us? Brown, smooth, folded. And I decide this pretzel imprint will do. Tangled like headphone wires, maybe that's why you can't hear me. I'm glowing from somewhere. My waist beads have started to roll upwards, under my breast like a second bra strap. Breasts which usually rest comfortably in your mouth, like my name, like the letter O. Lower your jaw. You say I feel more full moon than crescent. I weep blue. You bring me closer to the pain with each light lick, each suck. You fill your mouth with new words. Baby, belly, time. Dad tells me to pound okra. Sometimes he says okra. Sometimes mum says trafficate instead of indicate. Sometimes I linger on irregardless or regardless, lap or laps, plantain or plantain, depending. Sometimes I can't find the right word, the sentence dissipating into awkward laughter. Language gives me anxiety, and so does boiling rice. Dad is still waiting on the okra. I cut chunks into the mortar, pound it with the pestle. It is mahogany, sculpted like something the British would find and keep. Behind glass, from us. I run my finger along the bottom, feel for ancient engraving, a message from the ancestors or manufacturers. If not language, I will pass on taste. Both need the tongue. But I know when a soup needs more salt. A sentence in my mouth will reach the tip and I still couldn't tell you what's missing. Oh, Dan. Dan <laughs> <laughs> is just like, I'm like, what's now? <laughs> um, that's beautiful. Thank you. Really good. The way that moves. Thanks. Look at your eyes. <laughs> We're talk, we, we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> please. Self-portrait with white cliffs. In the grey of Sundays by the sea, I shop for groceries, wearing tight black trousers that strain across the breadth of my thighs. I hear a fork-tongue hiss behind me, coming to chain my legs. Speaking with the hybrid of disgust and delight, I have understood well. At home, I wash the serpentine venom out of my clothes. I swing my clean hair in front of the mirror until it falls over my face like a soft lashing. You look like the girl from the horror movie. You swing its thick branches because it feels like a small freedom. One night, a boy with irrepressible body heat kisses your thighs until they blister. The next day, you walk like you are in song. 
You take yourself up the white cliffs where you feel the wind pushing you off like you are soap along a porcelain tongue. You carefully retreat and call your mother. The wind is a man tugging at your dress. You realise you love a boy who becomes a fascist after dark. You give up resisting the appetite of a werewolf when you catch sight of the moon. You fill your plates to capacity and eat until the only no comes from you. Diving to pick up the little girl of yourself who slipped over the edge of the cliff, you cup her face and tell her men do not protect her anymore. She looks at you with eyes even bigger than your own. You smudge the borders around your eyelids until they look like two gravitational wells. You are all teeth, no longer hiding behind the soft invitation of lips. Wow, thank you. How did you both find that when you are given the challenge of responding to any to, to any work, so if you're commissioned to, to write something, do you feel often that your work is somehow better for it? That you have kind of submitted to a challenge and not, like you said, Tanina, maybe do something that you're used or comfortable in doing? I think for me it's very easy to fall into a pattern, like I have a way in which I'm very comfortable in writing and certain images that mm. tend to come up a lot in my work, but then if I'm responding to someone else's, they might have like a completely different way of writing, different images that are prevalent in the work, and so I would try to then take that on, which then obviously naturally changes it, and it's always nice to see what I can then do because it's, yeah, it's a million times different from what I always fall back on so mm. I enjoy it I enjoy it so do you feel that after a after a commission so say after this mm. you've been you've been for the last you know a month distilling the voice of Safia Hill and June Jordan do you feel like your your voice is then changed somewhat or do you feel that you will go back into what you have already established is established as your own voice I think it changes, but not mm. in a major way. Like I might write something and then go back to a poem that I was reading around that time and be like, oh, okay, that's where that came from. But whilst I'm writing, I'm not knowing that that's what's happening. Mm. So it's not like a major shift. Like I, I don't start writing sonnets all of a sudden. And, but it's like, <laughs> why not? It's like, <laughs> why not? Why not? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's a very subtle change. Yeah, yeah. how how it's like adding you... to the toolbox essentially, yeah, as opposed yeah. to like getting a whole new one. How here. how can we as poets make sure that we are only adding to our voice? Yeah, to the toolbox or kind of seasoning our own voice in different ways. Is there a danger? Do you feel that you can respond too hard, and then so your voice then emulates too closely the one that you have been listening to or reading? If it was just like the one poem. And your the style is very similar. I don't think it's it's too bad. I think maybe if you then take that on completely and that's your new thing, then maybe that's where it's a bit. Mm. But then maybe that might be your new thing. Who's to say that that there's anything wrong with completely adopting yeah. someone else's? Like when you read someone that you really like, and then you just say like that voice. That's me. Yeah. Is is me? Because I don't write that now in the way that I used to write like three yeah. or four years ago. I've just been changing. But can't you sometimes tell, sometimes if I'm in a workshop or I hear, yeah, if I can, and I'm just like, that's a Wilson poem. You know, oh, like you have this. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. so obvious <laughs> yeah, that that yeah. person has been reading yeah. a certain poet mm -hmm. and then you're just like, when does it stop becoming a response and become a... Imitation. Imitation, yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel example. like borrowing language isn't enough to really write an original poem. Mm. And then you can tell... Because often you just say, oh, this this language seems like it belongs somewhere else. It doesn't mm. necessarily fit this poem or this mm. experience. But I do think a lot of poetry is like unsighted plagiarism somewhere. <laughs> yeah. somewhere. But at the same time, that's not necessarily um, a bad thing because there is a lot of overlap. And that's not to say that nobody's idea is their own. Mm. But it, it depends on how you take that to the page. And I think that's why we love certain poets is because they haven't written images the way we've ever like in a way that we've ever yeah. seen before we're just like wow i never thought of that mm. and that's you Definitely. no one can take that from you mm. and yeah. that's i think that's how you can tell the difference between someone who's 
towing too close to the line. Yeah. But I think people do funny things to find their voice as well. Like people do the whole imitation thing somewhere down the line and they to fit in or to because mm. you know people are trying to get into some kind of canon mm. but then and then it takes a lot of courage to bring yourself back out and say hold on why am i in this am i in it for just to be treated as one like everyone else or do mm. i want to do something else yeah. no i definitely i do i do think it lies where where you said Nina. so in making it new if i tried to imitate either of your voices even if it was just the way you just repeat, you just said that, and then I repeat it. There is going to be something that's different because I will have certain inflections that yeah. you know, and that's what's that's what I think is important. Yeah. And just reading widely, because then if you're casting mm-hmm. the net super wide, then it won't <laughs> so be just true. like you just read one poem. Your whole yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the thing because yeah. like if if this commission was just to respond to one poem, mm. it might have been easier to fall into those traps. But because you you gave us Safi and you gave us June, it was like all right. I have to use my voice. Yeah. <laughs> I can't just like yeah. do like a, a June type poem. I can't do a Sabbath. Well. I have to bring them in together, which is why I love Tanya's poem so much because I feel like it just brought them both in so well. But it still sounded like a Tanya poem. It didn't sound like yeah. anyone else. Will you talk? Yeah, I know. Will you will you talk us through? your poem in the sense of where the influence might come in and where you felt that maybe you had to go your own way. For example, like the trafficate line for me <laughs> is just brilliant. I and mean, it's funny, but then you also talk about the, the uncomfortability with kind of um, laughing about the way somebody else uses a language that perhaps is not theirs or, or only theirs mm. or their only one. For the first stanza, that was very much June. Remind us how that starts again, Tan. On narrow pavements meant to be shared, I wonder if white people are magicians. They're in amazement, waiting in anticipation as they walk towards me. Their arms linked, about to perform the impossible, my favourite magic trick, walking through the black girl standing in the way. So, when I was reading Who See Me, mm. it was very much, it's about gaze. Who's looking at you? Who wants to be seen? I think, for me, because I live in Watford, for anyone who knows where Watford is or what Watford is. Um, what? What? <laughs> yeah, it's a very, um, a very white area. And mm. I, I didn't grow up there. I grew up in London. So moving out, there were certain things I wasn't used to. So I felt like I was very much invisible. People would walk into me, which was something I wasn't, that never happened to me before. And I, I used to think it was just in my head until I started to talking to other people who lived outside of of London, um, other black people who lived outside of London. And then I realized it's a common thing, so then. That's interesting though. So not not being kind of singled out for being perhaps like one of the only black people there, but actually just not, not being, yeah. not existing. So I feel like a lot mm. of the times I have to actually assert my existence, like, right. and just say I'm here. Even in ways, so like there's this unwritten rule when you're getting on the bus in Watford that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a hierarchy so firstly you're you're aware of who's been waiting at the bus stop before you right yeah then it's elderly people so you let elderly people on first then men are supposed to let women on first etc etc so i find say for example if i'm at the bus stop and it's just myself and a white man he would get on the bus and not like offer me yeah like the opportunity to get on first or but then if it was myself a white man and a white woman they would offer the white woman to get on first. And blah, and then blah, blah. he'll still get on before you. And he'll still get on before me. So, again, I just used to think, is this just me or is it just in my head? But it's it's like when you add these things all together, it's like, okay. And I don't think it's, like, obviously, it's not something conscious, like I'm deliberately going to ignore this this black woman standing here. But it's something It's worse if it's not conscious. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know what's weird. Yeah, or I don't know what's worse. What's worse? Whether it's conscious or unconscious, um, it's horrendous. Um, but yeah. The, yeah, sometimes I argue things like that, it's like, I don't know whether I'm actually offended whether, uh, you know, any man opens the door for me anymore. Mm. It comes from chivalry, which is Mm. super sexist, you know, like, so I can't expect, so I can't, you know, be a woman and still be like, oh, but I love, I love having dinner paid for and I I love doors (laughs) opening for me, you know, but then at the same time be like, Mm. um, or can you? So it is, it is quite a hard one to, to, uh, but yeah, no, um, um, it's just really interesting that you have noticed that. And then still don't know then what to, what do, what do you do with that? I'm gonna write poems about it, you know. Like where does where does that number? Where does it go? That's what where you channel it. That... Sometimes I'm vocal about it. Sometimes it's like I would say first, or 
Other times I just can't be bothered, you know. Mm. Um, so it's about picking and choosing your battles, really. And it, that in itself can be exhausting. Not being noticed can be exhausting. No, just choosing. Yeah, that and, and choosing when to say, okay, I'm here. Mm. And when to just kind of let it go. So how is not being seen <coughs> exhausting? Some people might think that not being seen is actually, you get loads of peace and quiet, don't you? Like, you know, like, what, how, why, is, why is not being seen exhausting? Because I'm here. <laughs> like, simply, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Mm. And there's a reason why I'm not being seen. And that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, and it's not for, so, it's not for Tanya's yeah, peace and quiet. You know, like, it's, it's not, exactly, it's not for, you're not doing it to, to make me feel good. Yeah. And because I acknowledge those reasons, I'm like, nah. Hmm. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know so, when they do these polls and they're like, "What do you wish your superpower would be?" And like being invisible is usually like at the very top, or at least like top three, mm. depending on what magazine you know. If it's, but mm. I do. I really don't think people know what they are wishing for with but that. I think because, like I was saying to Sunaina earlier on, mm. that um, one thing I do like about living in Watford is that I'm almost anonymous. So I don't know that many people in Watford, so there's a difference between being anonymous and not being seen. So I like being anonymous, like not having people know me and just yeah. being able to get on with my life. But it's different when you're like, you're taking up all the space on the pavement and you expect me to get onto the, yeah. onto the road and yeah. things like that. So that's where I have the problem. And where does Safia come into the work? Do, or, or, or did you stop? Did you stop uh, thinking that's Safia's voice now, that's June's voice? Did it, when you started mixing it, was it then just like, oh, I don't know where the milk or the sugar is. It just all became one. <laughs> I felt Safia came towards the end because when I read her work, it's something like I feel like I wrote it because I always have these conflicts with language and place and home and all of these things. So, yeah, so talking about like okra and okro and just like, like I said, my mum saying trafficate <laughs> instead of indicate. But for a long time, I thought trafficate was a word and that was that. <laughs> Until I started taking lessons and I was saying, oh, let me, and, like, trafficate. And my driving instructor was like... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there's just this interesting thing about... I'm just always interested in language and there's just this interesting thing about what is familiar to you and then what is what is seen to be correct and what isn't mm. and, and what you choose to... And who says it's right and who says it isn't. And the fact that language is always evolving, but there's still, like, that's wrong and that's right. Mm. Like plantain and plantain, like when are we ever mm. going to sell it? <laughs> you know, mm. um, when are we ever going to sell it? <laughs> but yeah, that's where that's where that's where Safia came in. What yeah. I what I loved about your poem, Dan, was the way that it did move. Mm. So I'm kind of drawing like a a long swiggle in the air, mm. but I felt like that's the shape that it mm. made in my in, in my head. It did lots of things but then without being separated mm. like you didn't use numbers or it didn't feel that separate but it did move in lots of places but then still had a journey if not a, a spiraling journey how it touched on for me lots of different aspects of who you are mm. thanks <laughs> it's all right, it's all right. <laughs> no it's, it's stunning it's Thank really so stunning Sanena, tell 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 us about yours. Where how how did you filter the voices in, and can you still tell where something's like that's that's an influence from June Jordan or that's an influence from Safia Hiller? Mm. I think in mine it mostly came through in the vocabulary and mm. also possibly a bit of the voice. But for example, I think June talks a lot about encounters with with men and a lot of them aren't nice at all like they are horrible and she talks about some like uh some of her poems like a case study I think is about assault and she she just kind of she has such authority when she talks about those things that happened to her so I was trying to think how could I apply that in what I was writing and how I feel like my body is like in the same way that we were talking with being invisible and then hyper visible at the same time like looking the way that I do opens me up to comments from men that I don't want, that aren't invited, and how can I reclaim some kind of authority in that interaction? And sometimes it's just writing men like snakes or, or mm. and describing them as having forked tongues, mm. for example, mm -hmm. um, and just to kind of put it into perspective. And then I think maybe also 
just the the images of the moon and um, like you give up resisting the appetite of a werewolf when you catch sight of the moon. You know, you are all teeth and things like that. They they struck me as very sort of like integrally Safia things. Mm-hmm. Not but- not because she just picked. She just picked some random words that sounded poetic, but because they have deep resonances throughout the collection, and I've found resonances in my work from that as well, so it seemed natural. And you, how you still made them new. So what we were talking about earlier is how can you still have an influence? You know, the moon is one of those things that sometimes in a workshop I'm like, actually, and especially with new writers, I'm like, it's super cliche. Do not go anywhere near the moon. I mean, unless you were going to. And I need to, you know, to go to town, come back, go back to town, because I, I, I don't want to hear about the moon. I don't want to hear about stars. I don't want to hear about mirrors. No. I don't want to hear about any of that. The sun, yeah. ocean. the sun, oceans, you know, yeah. skin. Yeah, yeah, all of these. Even and the I was like, sometimes. these are, yeah, yeah, yeah. blood Thank as well. Blood and I think, especially. Especially for women poets, I feel like we've got also our own list of cliches, you know, like don't give yes. me mascara or smoke mm-hmm. or, yeah. you know, yeah. dresses. <laughs> but then you, when you are skilled enough, you realise all those problems. And therefore, if you go anywhere near it, you know what you're approaching. And then so already you've put that demand on yourself mm. that what you're going to have to come up with is something new. And I, I definitely think you achieved that, Selena. Also, I was I was kind of blown away when reading Safia's you know, there are quite a lot of references to blood, but there's a there's a particular poem, I can't remember exactly which poem it is, mm. but she's lying on the floor covered in gold and bleeding. Mm. And then so blood just becomes something, yeah, you know, yeah. against her gold naked, or, or somebody's gold naked body, how red that blood becomes. Like, you mm. know, I'd never seen blood like that mm. before she showed me it like that. You know, I've seen blood as red as roses and I've seen, you know, like all of this other kind of blood that next to gold, dust, I think she was dusted in gold. Mm -hmm. Like it was then, like I have never seen anything that red in my head before. Did you both feel a pressure in responding to the chosen poets? June Jordan, who I opened the show by saying, you know, she's regarded as one of the great mothers of literature. Black literature. (laughs) <laughs> but but yeah, she definitely like twenty, even twenty-seven volumes. You know, when you when you leave, is is no mean feat. Like, did you yeah. feel and and also, how did you feel also responding to a super successful peer, so to speak? You know, she's Safi is the same age as us, mm-hmm. or, or around easily around about the same age. You know, we might be going for the same competitions. You mentioned the African Poetry Prize, Tanya, at the beginning. What, yeah, what were your feelings about responding to these two poets in particular? Did you feel the pressure? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what was what 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 kind what kind of pressure? Were you more intimidated by June yeah, or by Safia? I mean both. Honestly, Honestly. both. Safia writes so amazingly and mm-hmm. June, like yeah, June, I mean it's June, yeah. 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 Like, what can you say? You want to make sure that you you're you're doing the work justice and doing your own work justice mm. um at the same time. Again, it, it has a lot to do with taking something from both of those and incorporating it into your own and making sure they're still your own because I don't I wouldn't want it to be a poor imitation of a June Jordan poem or a poor imitation of a Safia poem so yeah there was a there was a lot of pressure with that but um it was a challenge that was Mm. Mm. yeah no I completely agree it was very difficult trying to write something knowing that you just feel like, what could I write that would stand out amongst these two? Mm. Like, honestly, I, I just don't. I think everything that I could write has already been edited and refined and is more intense and concentrated in, in their collections. What am I going to do? Mm. Everyone's, you have to start from somewhere. And, I, and, and Safia would have, would may well have had June as an influence for her right. work. She's like a peer. June as well the further back you go the harder it is to think who did you have like you really were just like writing writing blank and maybe that's why they they are so honest and they are so defiant in the original sense when you read poets like June Jordan and Gwendolyn Brooks for example like real kind of like literary foremothers Mm, of ours mm. so he has a lot of pressure knowing where these poets come from but at the same time it's good I wouldn't want to respond to anyone else at the same time yeah, like yeah, yeah. You wouldn't want to lower the standard. Yeah. You actually want to respond to it. Like, I feel totally fine responding to their poem because I don't even like it. Um, 
Yeah, you wouldn't you would want to do that. You said of, of ours, Selena, like a, a foremother of ours. Do you feel, as women of colour poets, that you are excluded from the canon or, you know, even the, the term, the canon? And do you feel... You're, you're okay, so you're both nodding, yes? <laughs> okay, but you do feel excluded. When everyone talks about the canon, you're like, that ain't for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you think, if there is only two choices, there could be more, but do you, feel, do you feel that there is an importance that we create our own canon? Or do you feel that we should be using that energy that that takes to create and to promote your own canon? Do you feel that we should be using that energy to perhaps challenge the existing canon so that June is then not on the Poetry Foundation website as, you know, one of the greatest African-American poets yeah. of all time? Should we actually be campaigning for that actually to be taken out? Therefore, we're not talking about, you know, women poets as women poets and um, men poets just get to be poets. Yeah. Um, and, and also, yeah, but black poets often don't get to, they, there's always that prefix yeah. um, to, to their poetics or do they claim to be poets um yeah where do where do you feel we should put our energy in creating our own or in challenging the existing one honestly that's something i think about all the time Mm. not just in in regards to poetry but just like with everything else like music just like pop like culture history and like everything and i don't know if there's an answer i think they're both Mm. valid in their own right i think it's very important to have our own canon but then I also feel like it shouldn't just be a canon just for us. I feel like our writers, black writers, deserve to be read by everyone else. And if that means fighting for it to be like part of the mainstream canon, then yeah, it definitely should be. But What would you say is the importance of anyone reading June Jordan? June Jordan's experiences are very particular and very, they're unique to June Jordan. And I feel like within the canon that we have now, like when I was in uni, I didn't, there there wasn't one black poet Mm. that we read in our poetry module for the whole year. And I felt like if I had a June Jordan poem, just even a single poem, Mm. like not even the whole Mm. collection, like that would have changed like my approach to poetry at that time. Mm. And I think some people aren't even exposed to that to to that history of where she's come where she's coming from, and I think that's important. The thing about literature is it's historical; like it allows you to understand what was happening in a particular time, as well as being something that gives you pleasure. Mm. I think yeah, there's not enough of African literature, African poets, African American poets, Black poets generally in our canons. So both. So your your thing is with I'm both. both. Yeah, it's it's difficult to mm. to say that you should just focus one in, like energy on one. Mm. I think both simultaneously. Would it's be a great. trick question. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> um, so how about you? What do you think? Um, I I completely agree with everything Tanya said again, but it's just, <laughs> it's just my standard response to everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too much wisdom. But then I'm just thinking that like when you change one, you'll probably inevitably start to change the other, right? Because once yes, you yeah. Once you started to like rewrite the canon, the poems that weren't in the canon in the first place will start to be considered more recognized. I don't know how what the time frame is for that to actually happen, but as far as like the merits go for anyone reading June Jordan's poems, it's just have a more informed experience of other lives. I feel like we grew up having to empathize with so many narratives that just weren't for us, mm-hmm. that we had to sort of like fit ourselves mm-hmm. in like, you know, like men's discovering themselves on the road somewhere. Like, <laughs> and, and I just, I had to do that. It was just like a necessary thing um, to try and get some kind of experience, like emotional experience. But um, I don't see like a, a student on the other side being like, I need to read this, this poem about civil rights mm. because it doesn't apply to me. I think, how, wh- why on earth do you think how can, that? Yeah, how can you how, how can, not apply to be. you? You think this happened in a vacuum? Oh, like, yeah. it, this poem would not have been written if it wasn't for how you politically relate to the other. Like, you, you have to read other poems. And I think it's way more responsibility than this kind of, oh, I'm widely read, I can read Jack Kerouac, but I can also read, you know, this other poet. And I just think, no, it's it's a responsibility, actually. Mm. I don't think you can really know your craft well enough. And I don't think you can produce mm. well from your your craft if you haven't read enough. If you're very sort of like 
honed in by your own limited experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because pretty much for me, like everything in in in, in the existing canon is all the same poet. It's, it's all the same work. It's just one anyway, yeah, to yeah, me. It's just one. Man. So I'm just like <laughs> kept reincarnating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just one man. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> and there are some real. There are some real. You know, obviously some some greats in there. Some I'm yes. just like they're only in there on the merit of being written by a white man. Mm-hmm. When someone says that they're well read, what they mean is that they've, you know, they can tick off maybe I don't know a hundred books of the canon. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with you that we need to cast the net wider because yeah. otherwise, how, how are you gonna ever write anything yeah. different? How are you ever really gonna challenge, yeah, your yeah. thoughts or what? Or, and then, and then your writing. Yeah. Because it's the people mm. who haven't necessarily even read those poets that still continue to be like judges on like poetry panels yeah. that continue yeah. to like still constitute the metric for good poetry in it. Yeah. And I think it's not fair. Why do you get to constitute, why do you get to decide what good poetry is when you haven't read poems that sound even remotely dissimilar to anything you could have written? Mm. Yeah. And also as well, I kind of said this in the introduction, but also changing the language around how we talk about yeah. the, the work is finally discovered, you know, <laughs> as if it's been hiding. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hidden, hiding, quite different. Um, but when, when it is actually discovered, you know, how the language around how we talk about those works, mm. you know, with the, oftentimes what comes up for a lot of people in uh, for for us in Octavia is the way that you know you get down off a stage and people are like, oh it was so insert something super offensive mm, that's yeah. that's supposed to be in praise of your work yeah. you know if I even in the independent the other day there was they they'd sent another white journalist to to go to a, a grime concert again but they oh, made it do you know this, did you see that did you read the Stormzy in the in the independent mm. but anyway I think he's got the memo that you can't say anything. Uh, bad, which is which is kind of then that's also problematic because then you're not being judged on the same, you know. So he's 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 he got that memo from somebody, but then even in what he 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 felt was praise, it was super it was offensive. offensive yeah. It was raw. It was if I hear one more person telling somebody of color that their work is raw, you might as well say it's barbaric. Yeah. Yeah. You may as well say all these things because yeah. that's how offensive it is. Mm. Just yeah. don't. Just, I just loved it. It was just so raw. <laughs> God, who told oh you that that was okay God. to say? That's okay. that's just something that I think is we have to change the language around even when Definitely. we start to, and also not to appropriate those experiences yeah. of yeah. like like you were saying as well. Like just yeah. because then you read. Yeah, mm. not inserting yourself into those experiences again. Yeah, yeah, it's the, the yeah. way in which we respond. So when I was reading Directed by Desire, The Bible by June Jordan, I got thinking about, you know, so she left 27 volumes of work. Did reading both poets make you think about your own poetic legacy? Yeah, I think even before we were assigned this task, I've been thinking a lot about what I want to leave like as of now I've I've just been performing and I mean I've had one or two things published in like some journals like magazines and things like that but um whoop, whoop. I don't hey but I don't have um, <laughs> like a complete body of work for someone to like say okay I want to read like a collection of Tanya's poems and before I was very like indifferent about that idea and I didn't feel like that is what you mm. needed to validate yourself as a poet and I still don't think that's true but for me it's yeah it's part of my legacy it's part of what I want to leave for people who come after me who mm. would want to read my experience my experience is completely different mm-hmm. to like Selena's completely different to yours but you know it's, it's no we're all the same and we write exactly the same I mean that's what, you think. Think. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you think you know um so someone might want to read some some poems about a girl who's Nigerian and who mm. moved to Watford out you know an estate in South Kilburn mm. who writes poems and dances and acts and loves hard and and sometimes doesn't love at all mm. like you know some some somebody might want to read that one day right, like can, 10 I years can... 20 years from now right so. now yeah well, right like, now. Right now. yesterday <laughs> Yesterday, 10 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I feel like selfish reasons, definitely, and also selfless reasons, because I would have loved to have read Mm. poets who I'm in the same room with when I was younger and I didn't have access to that. So Mm. I feel like now being in the position that I'm in and we're in now, I think it's important to not let that go as just something 
I think it, it's really difficult for me because I think the voice changes so much as I grow that the, the prospect of making a collection seems more like something more to do with chronology than like something that I would consider timeless. I really worry sometimes that what if poetry just isn't timeless but then I read things like this and I think uh, particularly June in this case um, I think this is really applicable like I had to look up when she was writing mm. when I read through some of her poems mm. because they just had so much of the same so much of the same themes and it's, in a way it's a testament to how little progress has happened in some sense <laughs> but at the same time it, so much of it did strike me as timeless so I think that would be a legacy I would want to isolate the part of my work that would be timeless but again also just to like um, not be so restricted by this idea that I need to be really amazing to, like you know you have to work twice as hard to like get a collection compared with someone else but just to say I'm I'm here I'm again I'm like a poet but I also do astrophysics and mm. I'm just trying to harmonize them both in some way mm. and yeah this is this is what I came up with this is how my brain works mm. Just to have that down somewhere is validating for you as well, just to see a part of yourself make it onto the page. So I think that would, that's probably far away in the future. No. Thank you both. It has <laughs> been an you. absolute pleasure, as I knew it would when, yeah, David first came to ask me about this. I knew it would be just really beautiful just to be in a room and talk to you about what we love and who we love, right? So thank you very much to David of Luna Poetry Podcast for inviting us, Octavia, to create our own show. Thank you to our literary godmother, June Jordan, and to the incredible Safia Hillo. Thank you to the Barbican, who today we're using their space, and um, shout out to Barbican Young Poets, and also to the Arts Council, who have made this possible. There will be a transcript of this show available at www.lunarpoetrypodcast.com and you can follow Lunar Poetry Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and you can download this from wherever you usually download your podcasts from. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you David. Thanks, David. <laughs>